Folks, you are listening to the Screen Watching Podcast. My name's Dan Barrett. I'm joined by Simon Foster. Simon, big show this week. But before we get to that, I've got a bit of yes. a confession to make. Uh-oh, what's happened? You're not going to say that live on air, are you? No. Oh, oh it's the other one. <laughs> no, not that one. It's not the public outing. That's going to happen in a very special episode. What was? Your, what is your confession? I, I know that last week you heard me say some very favourable things to the captain of the new Starship Enterprise, and you got wondering, but no, we're not going to make that revelation just yet on a podcast. Instead, okay. I was just going to say, today I was out and about. It's I'm here on the West Coast, sorry, the West Coast, the East Coast, I'll figure it out one day, the East Coast of Australia, and as you would be well aware, the East Coast is being pummeled by a whole lot of rain, and I've been hit by the rain pretty badly today, and Simon- wow. My legs, they just feel a bit funny because they've been walking around in very wet pants all day. Oh, don't I you know. know by now, everywhere you go, you need to take an umbrella? Oh, this, by the way, welcome to two old guys talking about weather. So, is this. <laughs> well, it's not so much, I'm not talking about the weather as much as the impact of the weather on my pants. On your, were they, did they make that whoosh, whoosh, whoosh noise when you walked in? Have you got the, the noisy pants? Simon, look, frankly, there's some things that are just too soon. Not like TV, only better. Television! Teacher! Mother! Secret lover. What, that's it? That's your movie? Well, I said that I had an idea for you. This is the aforementioned screen watching podcast. My name, Dan Barrett, joined by Simon Foster. So good to be here. I've got a bit of a bone to pick with you, quite frankly. Um, you are still the only person who hasn't changed their profile pic using newprofilepic.com. So you can have like that street artist look and feel on all your social media accounts. I've done it and the response has been overwhelming. I have no idea what you're talking about. Is this a Facebook thing? This is a face. No, well, it's a profile picture thing. It could be across any of the social media. Uh, I think it's just a Facebook thing, but go on. If it's, okay. Well, so if you go to my Facebook, you'll see. And I'm not going to, but go on. See all over Facebook, uh, people doing this, applying just a photo sort of, and what it does is it creates kind of like a street artist rendition of your face. And it's, it's made me look quite beautiful, which what, is an extraordinary bit of technology. Look, whatever you boomers and Gen Xs are up to over on the Facebook, that's your concern. <laughs> My granddad told me about it. It's got to be good. Simon Foster, I could talk about your profile pic all day, but instead I want to talk about the nitty gritty of this here podcast. We talk about things we've watched, we review them, and we talk in depth about other related things, other issues. And in order to achieve that, I'm going to talk this week on the podcast about The Time Traveller's Wife, which is a brand new miniseries that's streaming in Australia on Binge. It's an HBO, BBC joint otherwise. I'm also going to talk about the new Amazon Prime video series, Conversations with Friends. And if you're in the UK, uh, sorry, US, you'll be able to watch that one on the Hulu. And I'll be talking about two new films in cinemas, two very different films, although they do both start with F. One is Firestarter. It's in wide release. And another is called Father Stew with Marky Mark Wahlberg. It's in limited release. And our screen-watching middle bit I'm quite excited about, in honour of your time traveller's wife thing, uh, we'll be looking at time travel in movies and TV shows, which get it right, which get it wrong. That should be a good chat. Yeah, time travel and T-shirts. <laughs> I almost said T-shirts then because those watching us on YouTube now I've got my favourite Seinfeld shirt on, which people also love. Yeah, oh, I've got my Late Show with David Letterman shirt on. Oh, nice one. So that kind of is some time travel via T-shirt. Yeah, we are. We're going back in time. Let's go back in time. No, let's stay right this week and review some shows. Let's do that. It stinks. 
Simon, as your podcasting wife, it is my prerogative to go first as I talk about the time traveler's wife. Time travel. It's not a superpower. It's a disability. It's what's wrong with me. We just happened to each other in the wrong order. Any hobbies? I'm your future wife. There's a really sweet idea at the core of The Time Traveler's Wife, which is about the idea that we all come to a committed, loving relationship with our own individual baggage, but we're also approaching the union from different perspectives, which are constantly always shifting. In order to make it work, there's a need to understand that partners have needs and experience challenges that can be different to our own. But there's also something really gross and unsettling at the core of The Time Traveler's Wife, which is that the entire relationship of our central protagonists is built on a really uncomfortable emotional grooming, the show waves it away as a destiny that can't play out any other way, but what was perhaps seen as a lovely and a romantic character quirk when the time traveler's wife was based when the book that the time traveler's wife was based on was published back in 2003, today in 2022, it just gives me the heebie-jeebies. Now, the premise of the time traveler's wife is that you've got this guy named Harry, sorry Henry, and he's been out to time travel since he was a young child. The problem is it's involuntary, and he can suddenly time travel without any notice. Plus, when he travels, he leaves behind his clothes, the clothes that he's wearing, and arrives in a new time and location, fully buck-naked. Now, a lifetime of doing this means he's gotten really good at fighting, because it seems that people are ready to get into a biff when a naked dude turns up unexpectedly. He's gotten great at stealing clothes, and also he's really quick to adapt to new situations. But the story's not really told from Henry's perspective. Instead, we see the story kinder through the eyes of Claire, his wife. She first meets him when she's a younger girl, a mature-aged version of Henry comes to visit her, naked. They form a friendship, and he comes to visit her many, many, many times in the years to come. Claire, once older, and sorry, when I say Claire's younger, like, she's a six-year-old girl. That, like, yeah, exactly. That look on his face, Simon, that's the creepy heebie-jeebie part of it all. It is a bit heebie-jeebie. Yeah, but Claire, once older, she goes off to university where she meets Henry for the first time with her as an adult. Now, she knows that they're destined to marry, which freaks out a 28-year-old Henry when she tells him. Henry, at this age, is not the worldly man that she may have met and fallen in love with as a six-year-old. Now, why the grown Henry would even want to meet his future wife so many times as a youngster, it's just icky. If you can brush off that awkward element of the plotting, as the show does itself with a very quick joke, what you're left is a mature, funny, and mostly charming story about the pressures of a relationship under a very unique strain. This is the best I've seen Rose Leslie on screen. She's an awesome bomb of charm. Now, I don't know a co-star, Theo James, but he's rather compelling to watch on screen, and he handles the differences in performing as Henry at different stages of his life in what feels to be fairly authentic. And then you've got the show itself. It's uh, written by Stephen Moffat, who not only has time travel storytelling experience from his time on Doctor Who, but as evidenced in his writing through the very beginning of his career with Press Gang, and also through to a lot of his work since then, notably Coupling, he's no stranger to telling stories from different perspectives in a non-linear manner. With the time traveler's wife, he's no stranger to the complexities of this sort of story, and he handles it all exceptionally well. Not up to the challenge of the show, however, is series director David Nutter, who helms all six episodes. Under his direction, the show has the same feel as a network TV drama from the late 90s. It lacks the visual sophistication and looks no better than, say, an episode of Felicity. Now, this doesn't say the show isn't competent, but the journeyman director doesn't really elevate his craft to meet the challenge of the material. It holds back the show from being a great show, instead it's merely just pretty good. Lacking in the show is any real chemistry between Le Roy's Leslie and Theo James, 
And I do wonder whether that chemistry might have been there under a different director. Now, while I like Leslie, I do find that she very rarely demonstrates a strong sense of heat with any of her co-stars, so it may not entirely be Nutter's fault. Overall, this is a very watchable, suddenly charming TV drama. It's certainly far more mature in sensibility than a lot of romantic comedies, even if it does have this fantastical element of time travel involved. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, the series debuts on HBO Max in the US in the coming days. It's also on the BBC in the UK. Here in Australia, we're getting it on binge. I'm keen. I am keen. A, for, well, for a lot of reasons. A, I really enjoyed the um, Rachel McAdams, Eric Banner film that came out of this uh, a few years back, probably 10 years back now. But I thought that I, I was should a stress, lovely. I've not seen it. Okay. So, so I, yeah, I thought it worked really well and I thought they were terrific together. Um, Theo James, before we start getting emails from the YA generation, he was the lead, male lead in the Divergent films opposite Shailene Woodley. Simon, you did 10 minutes on Facebook at the beginning. There's no YA listeners listening to this. That's very true. Yeah, they're already gone. Um, and Rose Leslie, she was terrific. Um, in the thing that I sort of really fell in love with the film was this horror film called Honeymoon from a few years back, um, which was a really nasty piece of work and, and, and she was terrific in it. And funnily enough, she has generated quite a bit of heat on screen opposite her co-star, is it Saran Jones in the Vigil show, the one about the submarine where they were they were lovers in that. So, yeah, a lot of that um, show, though, they were not in the same location. She was above yeah. ground and her lover was in a submarine. So you didn't actually see the chemistry on screen so much. Yeah, they had. I mean, yeah, they, yeah, that's very true. They had some key moments. Yeah, she's not known as a, a strong romantic lead, Rose Leslie, although she's a very fine actress. So there's a lot of elements about this that I'm, I'm very keen to see. I was Nutter. He was one of the X Files team, wasn't he? Didn't he do a few X Files episodes? Yeah. So David Nutter, and this is off the top of my head here. I'm pretty sure he started out a lot of his TV career directing episodes of Star Trek: Next Generation. Became right. one of the key directors over on the X Files. He wasn't really one of the lead directors. So I'm. Um, he was certainly present through a lot of it, but you'd probably be looking more like, say, Rob Bowman, for example, as being like yeah. one of the main, main directors on the show. But not to put in his time, and I know that he directed quite a few serialized things since then. Smallville, I know, he was involved in, and just various other shows since. And he's certainly competent, and like I think he's generally quite good at what he does, but this requires something a little bit more than what he's delivered. Okay. So as the week's, we'd say, I guess this is the week's big series release it's a, a a fair to middling review from from dan barrett it's fair to say oh, look i think it's quite good like i have yeah. no qualms with recommending it to people but as i said it's quite good just not great all righty well i've got a surprise for you i'm going to review the new movie firestarter <sighs> i really just cannot believe that this exists in 2022 but we'll talk about this oh. after the review daddy what's going on sweetie feels weird. Something's changing. You remember the tools we taught you, right? Pencil, desk, paper, shoes, your wheel. Everything okay, Charlie? It happened again. What happened? The bad thing. Wow. Before ironic millennial love turned a lot of 80s junk into potentially profitable properties, Firestarter was just 80s junk. Nobody has the Stephen King book in their five best King stories. The film 
uh, starred Drew Barrymore and was directed by 80s journeyman Mark L. Lester, who did crowd-pleasing B-picks like Class of 84 and Commando, and was met with audience apathy and critical raises back in the day. I was there. I remember nobody liked Firestarter. But it's been remade by the team at Blumhouse, the masters of reboot mediocrity, and I shouldn't be surprised that it's terrible, but I am surprised that it's so dull. There's not a fright to be had in this very lacklustre effort from director Keith Thomas, who directed an overvalued indie horror called The Vigil back in 2019. It stars, this film stars Ryan Kira Armstrong as Charlie, a preteen who's losing control of a pyrokinetic energies, which I assumed was a metaphor for the onset of puberty, but which uh, writer Scott Teams says in his screenplay isn't that at all, uh, which robs the story of any sort of potential symbolism or meaning. Zac Efron plays her dad, who takes it upon himself to protect her from the evil corporation that wants them for nefarious activities. Uh, the head of that nefarious organisation is Gloria Rubin, who we know from ER and who I will get to later in my appraisal of Mr. Robot. It's been a real Gloria Rubin week for me. Um, it's all a very stupid story that didn't work 40 years ago, even with the charismatic Barrymore in the lead role. And why I don't like to poo-poo young performers, Armstrong is no Barrymore. The distributor shut down the planned press previews of the film and it's clear why with streaming platforms picking up so many dreg films before they hit theatres, it's kind of a treat to see a film this bad on the big screen, but... Also, I mean, it isn't really a treat at all. So that's Firestarter. It's interesting you mentioned that streaming business in that in the US, it's actually gone direct to NBC Universal's Peacock rather than getting a, I think they have a simultaneous cinema release, but it's not yeah, exactly expected yeah. to do much business at all. No, no, this one's definitely been shunted away. Um, I think it was shot back, you know, in the early the start of COVID. So it's been sitting on the shelf for a while and you can see why. It's also, and I didn't touch on it, but it's also such a bland looking film for a, a movie that's meant to be about flames shooting all around the place and this young girl not being able to control this fiery sort of outburst. Um, it's just the dullest looking film I've seen in a long time as well. Yeah, so I just don't understand why this is being made. So ultimately, the reason you do a reboot is because there's some recognisability to the IP. And usually it means that there's a bit of a cult following behind the film, but Firestarter was just, I think, universally just agreed to be not very good. And yep. so, like, no one really remembers the film outside of those that do, that don't have fond memories of it. And then, mm. like, it's not like the idea is such a strong idea that maybe the original film just didn't quite live up to it. Like, it just was a bit of a turkey all around. Yeah, I don't get it at all. And like I say, it's, it's not one of, it's not considered one of King's strongest, you know, resellers. So it's not always in the top best-selling list all that time. So I don't get it. And the sooner we move on from Firestart, I think the happier everyone will be. No, no, I want to do another 15 minutes on it. No, 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 no. Okay, let's talk about the new series. It's called Conversations with Friends. Would it depress you to sleep with someone who loves someone else? Not if they love me too. Thought that maybe I wasn't capable of love. That there was something wrong with me. That isn't true. So the strongest selling point for Conversations with Friends is that also going to be maybe the biggest obstacle that the show has in terms of viewers. So the series is based on a debut book by author Sally Rooney. She was the author of Normal People, which got adapted into last year's smash hit lo-fi sexy romance youth drama series. Normal People was Rooney's second book, and the general consensus was that while a debut book, which is Conversations with Friends, was pretty good, Normal People was actually pretty, pretty great. So now that Conversations with Friends is being adapted into a series for Hulu by the team behind the Normal People adaptation, it's opened the show up to the criticism of that first book, 
It just isn't quite as good. Now, it's understandable that viewers may be a little disappointed, but that's also a bit of a shame because Conversations with Friends is actually a goddamn delight of a show. Now, the show is set in Dublin, and it's about a young woman named Frances. She performs spoken word poetry with her best friend and ex-girlfriend, Bobby. One night, the two of them meet a well-known literary wonderkin essayist, Melissa, played by girl star Jemima Kirk. And Bobby, she develops quite a thing for her. However, through this newfound friend, they're also introduced to an up-and-coming actor named Nick, who's Melissa's husband. The very quiet but strongly opinionated Francis begins an affair with Nick after going to see him perform on stage. Very quickly, the lives of the force become very heavily entangled. Like normal people, this is a very grounded, earthy film about young people finding their way into the world. They're experiencing their first taste of adulthood and the opportunities and consequences that can come with that. Alison Oliver, who I believe is making a screen debut with this show, is great as Francis on the show. The success of the series hinges entirely upon her and the difficult performance that she has to deliver in keeping the audiences interested in her while still guarding her intention. As an audience, we don't really understand at all what it is that she's after or why, and that's usually a complaint one would have about a TV show, but here it's an asset in that it's actually being deployed with a really great purpose and precision. We don't know what drives Frances, but that's intentional. We just have to trust that she and the writer and director of the series have a sense of it. Now, this is, as I said, a lo-fi indie film style drama. It's such a refreshing change amid so many shows about life and death stakes presented on screen every few minutes. Across 10 half-hour episodes, I do find myself feeling as though the runtime might be a little bit much, especially considering the limited narrative substance of the show, but it should probably have been just an indie film with a 100-minute runtime. That said, it's still an enjoyable, cathartic world to find yourself in for 30-minute blocks. It sounds sweet. They trailered this on the big screen before Fire started today, so I, and, and it looks lovely. It's, um, it's the way it's described and the way the trailer played, it did remind me of something like Singles or something out of the 90s, that sort of uh, indie, you know, young person's romantic entanglements kind of feel to it. So I'm on, all on board for this, and hearing there are only half-hour slots, that's, um, that'll do me. So, um, yeah, I'll be tuning in this weekend. Yeah, look, it's films like Singles that I think this probably really does sort of connect more to. I mean, more, it's obviously British, well, Irish in this instance, but, you know, it comes with more of a UK sensibility than something like Singles. But that said, it is that kind of film, and it's the sort of film that you may not necessarily have heard of before, but you sort of stumble across, like, on Foxtel or just randomly out and about. You might just see it just sitting on a streaming service, go, I wouldn't mind checking that out, and you just fall in love for 100 minutes or so, and, you know, it's one of those sorts of experiences. The film I couldn't stop thinking about, and it's not really quite the same, but it's just that same kind of uh, sensibility to it all, is, did you ever see that film Starter for 10? Yeah, absolutely, I did. Sure. Yeah, a really charming film starring that guy who I can never remember his name. Uh, he was Professor X in the uh, X-Men reboot films. McAvoy, James McAvoy. James McAvoy, yeah. yeah. And it's him and Alice Eve fun. and a couple of other familiar faces. Uh, it's just a charming film about a guy who goes to college for the first time and gets involved in the high-stakes world of its academic. Hmm. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, that's another plus because that was a nice film as well. So hmm. it is called Conversations with Friends. I know you mentioned it. Where can I see this? So this is one of these things. It's a BBC Hulu co-production. So it's dropping wow. there over the next couple of days. But in Australia, we're getting it here on Amazon Prime Video. All right. I'll check it out. All right. Off to church, sinners. I'm going to look at Father Stew. Oh, God, I was more excited about Firestarter. I figured it out. Seventh time's a charm. I'm being active. You don't belong with those LA folks. They're a bunch of fascist hippies. 
Okay. His amateur boxing career in tatters, Stuart Long, played by Mark Wahlberg, bringing the capital A acting, moves to LA dreaming of stardom. Now, while scraping by as a supermarket clerk, he meets Carmen, the lovely Teresa Ruiz, a Catholic Sunday school teacher immune to his bad boy charm, now determined to win her over. This longtime agnostic starts going to church. A spectacularly staged motorcycle accident leaves him battered and very bruised, but also wondering if he can use this second chance to help others find their way. So it's the Catholic priesthood for him. Despite a devastating health crisis, the scepticism of church officials and uh, some awful overacting by his estranged parents, Mel Gibson and Jackie Weaver, Stu pursues his vocation with courage and compassion. Now, this very well-meaning but relentlessly mawkish film is about as literal an interpretation of Catholicism as we've seen on screen. There are two, there are two key moments that define its heavy-handed approach. One, Stuart is sitting in a bar being lectured on goodness by a water-sipping stranger with a Jesus beard. Guess who that is? The other, Stewie lays bleeding and battered post-accident. A woman in a white hood whispers that it's not his time yet. She's an angel, just in case you were unsure. Um, There's so much about the film that is on the nose. It's impossible to know where to start. Actually, no, it isn't. Mel Gibson. Some might find his horrible father routine kind of compelling. For others, it'll be too close to real-life ugliness to tolerate. Wahlberg goes from ripped athlete to tough-talking padre to sufferer of a degenerative muscular disorder, and he knows he's in Oscar territory if he gets it right, which he doesn't, but he's always watchable. It's never not preaching to the converted, this film. The real-life father, Stu, is like Babe Ruth to hardcore Catholics, a beacon for those that believe even the worst of the worst can be saved with a splash of holy water, a fresh attitude and inspiration from above. above. Um, if that's how you lean, Father's Stew is manna from heaven. If not, you've already stopped listening anyway, so don't worry about it. It's called Father's Stew. It's in surprisingly wide release at the moment. <laughs> it's There's nothing else being released, Simon. I, tell me about it. I've had to watch Firestarter and Father's Stew. So, yes, it, clearly Multiverse of Madness is taking up all the screens at the moment and Top Gun will over the next couple of weeks. So this, not- is, this is... This is still a product. It's not even that, though. Like, the actual number of films being released is just way down to what it was pre-pandemic. So it's not even just a matter of the fact that Doctor Strange is taking over at all. It's just that there's nothing else that's being released that's, you know, they're giving screens to at all. Like, they can't give screens to anything because it's not there. It was interesting. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how this period is just such a tidal wave of new television titles and that you're going to be under the pump trying to get to see everything over the month of May, I've been exactly the opposite. I've had just dog after dog of, you know, mediocre or barely released films to have a look at. Um, you know, I picked the right time to head up to Coffs Harbour because there's nothing on at the movies here. So um, fire started, give it a miss. Father Stew, you know what you're in for. Um, it's not going to win over any, not going to convert anyone, let's say that. Yeah, look, my understanding about the proprietor of Wahlburgers is that he's actually- Have you had one yet? Before we go on, have you had a Wahlburgers? When you were down in Sydney, Winter when it opened? No, it wasn't open yet by the time oh. I left. So I missed out on that well, pleasure. But I believe that it is makes- coming up to Brisbane sometime soonish. He makes a hell of a burger. He knows how to handle a patty. Are they actually okay? Yeah, no, they're very good. And there's all sorts of weird sort of hippie concoctions as well. So you can have all kinds of crazy combinations. But yeah, no, they're very good. Okay, I'll give it a gander. He makes better hamburgers and movies, that's for sure. Uh, look, uh, so this is what I wanted to get to, which is that he's actually come out saying that after the experience of making this movie, because the thing with Wahlberg is he has found faith 
And essentially he's trashed all the other movies that he's been making over the years. And he's just saying that he wants to make films that are as meaningful as Father Stew was to him. Well, I can, I can believe that was me. I'm not, I'm, I'm not doubting for a minute that everyone's heart isn't in this film. Gibson clearly has a stake in it as a, as a hardcore Catholic. And, and Wahlberg, as an actor, goes through great transformation in this film. He put on heaps of weight. There's a very famous uh, story going around the internet at the moment how he drank olive oil to put on the, you know, to gain the weight that he has in the last half hour of this film. Um, so, like I say, he, everyone's taking it very seriously which, you know, that to the detriment of the film, they all take it very seriously. I know who didn't take it seriously, critics and the audience who also didn't turn up for this one. Exactly right, yeah. I was I, I was able to watch Father Stew at home, but I was the only one in the cinema at Firestarter this morning. So, hey, movies are back. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Further proof, once again, movies rule. Oh, sorry, TV rules and movies drool. I do, I do just want to mention very quickly, of all the other films being released there this week, there is a terrific documentary called Bigger Than, the, Bigger Than Us. It premiered at the Cannes Film Festival last year. It's from producer Marion Cotillard. It features a young woman named Maliti Wilson who travels around the world talking to uh, very young, social-minded uh, activists. Uh, she goes to Malawi to talk about child brides. Uh, she goes to Rio to talk about... Um, the role of journalists in the favelas there. She goes to Uganda. Uh, she goes to Greece to talk about the refugee crisis, all the while talking to these people who are all under 20. It's a really uplifting, really powerful bit of documentary making. Um, it is the best thing out at the movies this weekend, so do get along to see Bigger Than Us. Yeah. Uh, also on the show, we like to talk about what else we've been watching. So this isn't necessarily new things. It's just what we've been watching. So on my TV, Simon, I've had a couple of things that I've checked out. So, first of all, I am currently, well, still, I haven't talked about this much on the show, but I've been doing a Good Wife rewatch the last, like, month or two. Uh, currently Good Wife, don't you? Yeah, currently in season four, and it is just going from strength to strength. My word. Good. What a show. Yeah. What a cracker. Yeah. Uh, I've been rewatching The Batman, which I've been doing every week now for the last, what, two months? Something thereabouts. Have you really? Because you I, I know you leave that on the running sheet, so I don't know whether you are really watching it or you're just gagging. A little bit of both, but I actually legitimately did watch a bit of it this week. <laughs> All right. Uh, what else? I also checked out the SX Serpent, which is a new program which is debuting on Apple TV Plus this coming Friday. This oh. is a period horror film of sorts. It's a lot of bonnets being worn, a lot of fancy jackets and vests. Claire Danes is in it. Uh, it's basically stories of women. It's... I don't want to tip too much of what the show is doing exactly, but it's this idea that it's a British countryside which has a mythological serpent which has been <sighs> taking women who have uh, em embraced a, I guess, maybe sexual interest. So, the, you know, there's the obvious sort of metaphors going on and whatnot. Okay, well, it's, I know what the Essex serpent is from yeah. my sort of crazy... From your readings? My, my love of cryptid culture and the cryptoids and all that sort of stuff. So I'm wondering if it had anything to do with the the famous creature of of folklore. So I guess it does. Yeah, so it, it absolutely does. That. Look, it's it's fine. Uh, I think I've just got a bit of an issue with, I'm not so into horror films that are just people wearing bonnets and stuff. So there was that drama from about a year ago that we talked about in this podcast, the Adrian Brody show that I can't think of. But that's right. And like, that was all right. I didn't mind that too much, but that was more just a human horror. This It wasn't really sort of a mythological creature haunting people in bonnets. And I just never really into no. that sort of thing. But, you who's know, it's dude? perfectly fine. Is it fine. Hiddleston? What's that? Who's the, who's the lead in it? Who's the male lead? 
Uh, I can't remember now. Sorry. Hiddleston? Is it Tom Hiddleston? Oh, yeah, it is Tom Hiddleston. Sorry, I saw this a couple of weeks okay. ago, to be honest. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll check that out. That looks like something I might like. Yeah. Okay. Like, now, there'll be an audience for it. It just wasn't me, so I kind of gave up on it a bit early in. Last week on the podcast, uh, regular listeners may remember that Dan lost his shit when I said I hadn't <laughs> seen Mr. Robot. What have I done, Simon, this week? I've sent you a text message almost every day asking if you've I watched know. it yet. Yeah, you really did. And um, I did. I, I, In the end, I only got through the season one, episode one episode. Um, but you are absolutely right. I am hooked. Uh, it is a great first episode to kick off a series. Uh, Rami Malik is fantastic in the part. It sets up his character perfectly. By the end of that first episode, when Christian... Um, not, not Christian Slater. Christian, what's his name? Christian Slater. Uh, is sort of setting up the um, how they're going to bring down the entire financial system and he wants Rami Malek on board. It was a terrific, that scene on the Ferris wheel was a terrific bit of, of writing and acting. And um, I can I can re- remember at the time very clearly that Christian Slater came out of it with so much, you know, he was, I think he was Emmy nominated and he was going through a real hot streak because of Mr. Robot. And it's all there in the first episode. It's a terrific bit of television. So you're absolutely right, Dan Barrett, as is often the case. And I will be going back to watch the rest of Mr. Robot in the weeks ahead. Dude, absolutely stick with it. I'm going to keep on sending you yeah. text messages asking if you can no, keep no. watching it. Because... My phone goes off at like two in the morning saying, what, have you watched any more? <laughs> have you got up to this part yet? <laughs> Look, sometimes the mood strikes me. But no, the thing I'll sort of mention with Mr. Robot is that it really is just one of these absolute cr- classic TV series that probably should have had a bigger audience than it did, if not for two probably core problems that took place at the time. One, it wasn't on Netflix. And this was debuted, I want to say, about 2016. Yeah, this is sure, right. 2015, it's in, on IMDb. But yeah, 2015-16. Yeah, yeah, so this is a time period where Netflix was really taking off and getting some heat. And if you wanted the shows that everyone was buzzing about, like Netflix was very much the place for that. And people just weren't giving a look into other platforms. And that's still kind of the case, but I think the heat's kind of fallen off Netflix as being the place to go at the moment. Mm. So the conversations are happening elsewhere nowadays. But like certainly when that show launched, like if it wasn't on Netflix, it just wasn't being looked at. And then the second thing as well is that even the audience that stuck with it through the first season, don't forget this was a basic cable drama that was going out week to week. The beginning of season two, it's got a four episode arc in it, which are a little bit slow watching it week to week. When you're watching it on like a binge at your own leisure, like it's actually not an issue at all. I did a rewatch of it maybe about a year and a half ago and found it was like complete pleasure to watch those episodes, which uh, are so highly maligned by those who are watching it. And that was kind of a jumping off point for a lot of viewers. So you'll sort of notice it when you sort of come to it, but you won't really be disappointed by it because it'll just sort of fly by as you're doing your watch. Even someone who's a total tech Luddite like me, um, I could I could sense that watching those 2015, 2016 episodes, especially seeing the old Facebook interface, like seeing the whole <laughs> yeah. the original design, I thought, boy, even something that's only a few years old that deals with technology has has dated so quickly. Because I'm not into that whole scene, it doesn't worry me. So I'm not sitting there going, hey, that's not where a cursor should be, or hey, that's in that colour. So it, it didn't worry me. But I can understand how some tech heads may be sort of, oh, that's stupid. Yeah, it was a show that was very much born of the Occupy Wall Street movement. Yeah, that took place. And very smartly, even though that show ran up until, I think it ran right up to the pandemic thereabouts. I think it was four seasons. Yeah, but there was a bit of a delay between the third and fourth season 
I can't remember the exact specifics, but that final season, like you're watching it, it actually only takes place like within a few months of that first episode. So they really do keep it to be a period piece, even though it ran for a couple of years. Uh, it, I saw that episode on Stan, which is, I guess, the best place for Australian viewers to watch it. And it's probably available on platforms all around the world to our international <laughs> listeners, international <laughs> listeners. Uh, Mr. Robot is the show. Do check it out. Yeah, look, it's a stunning good show that I think holds up remarkably well. Facebook interfaces notwithstanding. Simon Foster, we're talking time travel. I love this topic. This is all in honour of the time traveller's wife and the fact that I run a science fiction festival and I get a thousand different time travel movies sent my way every year. Um, But yes, it's something that you leapt at. So you've obviously got investment in the whole time travel technology. Do you want to kick us off? Do you have a we, I guess we're going to do a best and maybe a couple of worst of the time travels. Yeah, so just as a bit of a sort of side thing to this, uh, in some of my spare time, I don't have a lot of it, uh, I do like producing of another podcast uh, put out. It's a, a content marketing piece of sorts uh, from Binge, which is the Australian streaming video service. And basically, uh, I've got like producer What's it called? Rolf. Tell us everyone the name. Uh, the podcast is called Skip Intro. And it's hosted by um, Ali and John from Binge. And they just talk about the new and interesting programs and movies that are cropping up on that streaming service. So if you're a Binge subscriber, you know, definitely download the podcast because you get quite a bit out of it. But they recorded a conversation about the time traveler's wife. And in my role as producer, I said, you should spend a few minutes just talking about time travel movies and like straight afterwards. Because so you know, actually, so this is a so this we're actually getting content that's already on the internet <laughs> somewhere. We're sort of picking up the scraps, are we? Well, no, no. I mean, kind of. So, <laughs> what I just thought was funny was my immediate instinct was when we were talking about time travel's wife, you should also talk about time travel movies. So I got yeah. a great kick out of you suggesting the very same thing to me when we had our- That you'd already done the work for. Well, kind of. But also the thing is that I felt a bit frustrated because as a producer, I don't want to put words in the mouth entirely of the guys that are hosting the podcast. So I got to suggest a few things to them, but also we kept things that just things that are on binge. But I've been champing at the bit myself wanting to talk about time travel movies and I haven't been afforded that opportunity. So you said this and I'm like, yes, I want to talk time travel as well. So I'm very excited to do this. Whatever I can do to fulfill your creative urges, I'm happy to do. So please go forth and you have platform. Let's hear your time travel stories. Like all of my creative urges? No, not that one. Okay. Well, that's disappointing. Okay. So look, I first of all sort of just jotted out a list of movies and TV shows that immediately came to mind when I started thinking about time travel. Good. Yeah. Okay. And if I could find it on my screen, that would be really helpful right now. You're stretching now, are you? (laughs) Absolutely stretching. Here we go. Okay. Reviews. Sorry. I just found my document. It's here somewhere. Oh gosh. Why do I, why do I do this to myself, Simon? Why? Can I start? Would you like me to throw a couple into the mix? I wish you had, but I've already committed myself now. So this is what I came up with my list. The first thing I thought of was immediately Star Trek four, AKA the one with the whales. The one with the hippie and the, uh, uh, the the punk on the on the tram at San Francisco who, who with the boombox. Yeah, and Spock, you know, wins the approval of all around when he damages that punk's uh, you know, boombox. Pinches him. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Classic. Uh, but then let me to think about Star Trek The Next Generation. There's a classic two-part episode called Time's Arrow, which I think might have been a season finale to, you know, the return episode. But this is one where they t- travel back in time, but Data's head gets blown off and they end oh. up finding it in the future and then restore the rest of his body from his head that they found. Wow. He's a robot, so it's dark. okay. 
yeah, you know, I know he's a robot, yeah. but that's still pretty dark. That's, because now we, we'll put an asterisk next to the whole Star Trek thing because sometimes it works. I've come across a couple of lists that say Star Trek Generations is one of the worst examples of time travel. So Star Trek time travel storyline, they do sort of um, take some liberties. They're not always every Star Trek fan's favourite episode, the time travel stuff. No, not at all. I'm pretty sure you find Time's Arrow is a very well-regarded set of episodes from the fans. Sure, yep. There's also the one where they travel back in time and find Jackie Collins, but, you know... (laughs) let's move on past that uh the episode times arrow from star trek next generation reminded me of there's a futurama episode called roswell that ends well where they travel back in time to the roswell incident in 1947 but there's a great sort of callback to that star trek episode because bender's head gets blown right off Uh, and then they retrieve the robot's head you know quite a number of years in the future very amusing yes uh in the world of animation still just I've got a through line here. Uh, the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror 5, there's a segment called Time and Punishment where Homer has an issue with his uh, toaster and he goes down okay. into the garage to do some home electronics on it and inadvertently creates a time machine that has him traveling through time, mucking up the timeline, and you see him trying to correct time because as his father told him on his wedding night, Oh, sorry, wedding day, the one bit of advice he was given. If you do anything while time traveling, you've got the possibility of upsetting the space-time continuum and things could drastically change. And yeah, the featuring the featuring the famous line, stupid bug, you go squish now. <laughs> well, the line I always like is, this is indeed a disturbing universe. But anyway, <laughs> he's one. <laughs> easily one of the greatest segments on Treehouse of Horror. Uh, yeah. Getting into some movies that I really dug uh, was time travel-wise, Tenet which is a film that I cannot get enough of. I've seen that film almost as many times as the Batman now, and it just grows my estimation every time I watch it. Have we discussed this at length? Have you and I discussed Tenet Tenet. at length? Because that is is something I uh, paradoxically disagree with you on. (laughs) How many times have you watched it? Twice. How much much do you think you understood? Oh, hey, I understood plenty. And what I didn't understand, I didn't need to know about. What do you mean, how much do you think I understood? I got it. At least I got it. I just thought, I, I think I was on a Christopher Nolan downturn then. But this may be something for a future middle bit. Look, maybe. But, like, I would say that I was keeping up with Tenet because it starts getting very complicated with some of its uh, structuring of the time travel at a certain point. It really does challenge the audience to keep up with it. And I would say I was okay up until that final act. And I was like, I kind of get, I think, where all the characters are coming from and where they're moving around the screen. But I just wasn't 100% sure. And then I rewatched it. I'm like, okay, I'm finally up with it. But there is a point in the movie where it does lose a lot of viewers. Yeah. And it's right when it starts getting... You say challenge viewers, I say bore viewers, but that's something we can get to later on. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't have enough pew, pew, pew to keep you interested. (laughs) Uh, something else which I quite liked is the rom-com time travel drama About Time, which is an incredibly sure. sweet, charming film. Source Code, which is a great Jake Gyllenhaal uh, film on a train. Uh, the Moon director from The Guy Who Made Moon. He's a fine director until he yeah. made that Warcraft movie. Oh, man. I walked out of that Warcraft film. That's what we should do on the podcast. We should talk about movies that we've walked out of. Uh, I've done like two. I have never done that many. I tend to sort of stay right through the end. Even when I watch here at home, I'll tend to stay right through the end. That's disgusting. I know. It's a sickness. Okay. Well, let's call off that middle bit segment then. Uh, Primer, which is a really great indie film looking at time travel. 
Midnight in Paris, the, uh, are we allowed to say Schmoody Schmallon's name still? Is that acceptable? It's, yeah, it's a beautiful film. I love it. Yeah, no, I think Woody Allen is definitely one of his best. Uh, 12 Monkeys, which is one of my all-time favorite films. A film that I saw as a little kid that has definitely stuck with me. It gave me some serious memory burn. Is this film Time After Time? And oh, yeah, of you, course. You'd know that, but I'll explain it to other people what the film is. Basically, imagine a time travel movie where Jack the Ripper ends up getting into H.G. Wells' time machine from merry old London, and they travel through to the modern era, which is 1970s America. And so it's just basically H.G. Wells trying to track down Jack the Ripper with a great performance by Malcolm McDowell and also uh, Mary Steenburgen in a pretty early Mary role. Mary Steenburgen, yeah, yeah, and that crazy British actor um, David Warner bringing the crazy as, as Jack the Ripper. So, yeah, he's, um, yeah that's a, a great, great film directed by Nicholas Meyer, who then went on to do a bunch of the Star Trek movies. Well, he did one Star Trek movie. Mm. Oh, no, sorry, he did two. Sorry, I stand corrected. He did, did couple, Star Trek yeah. two, The Wrath of Khan. <laughs> and also, I think he did number six, The Undiscovered Country. Yeah, well, he came back for something, got a paycheck later on, but yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, very quickly, uh, Planet of the Apes. Of course. Sorry, that's a spoiler. You may not have <laughs> realised it's a time travel. travel film, people, but it's actually a time travel movie. Damn you! It was Earth all along! You blew it up! Damn you! <laughs> Palm Springs, which is a very charming uh, time travel comedy. Yes, it is. Uh, I could mention Groundhog Day, and I did. It's in there. I did mention it. And the other one I wanted to highlight was Your Name, which is this great anime film, which again, (gasps) spoiler alert, time travel. Oh, that's a beautiful film. I cried my eyes out in that. I had that in one of my top 10 of 2018 or 2019, whatever it came out. That is a gorgeous film that, yeah, that's, that, and they kind of just missing each other in the time travel continuum. So, yeah, Yeah. that's a beautiful film. Absolutely. Incredibly heartbreaking. And oh my God, that film, Simon. Yes, I was a mess. I was a puddle on the ground. Yeah, yeah, I puddled as well. Yeah. So anyway, the, right. those are the films. And that's the thing, a lot. Yeah, so that's what kind of came to mind for me. And I think what I like about time travel movies is that it gives characters the opportunity to go back within the narrative of the film sometimes, depending on the way that they decide they want time travel to work. And it allows mm-hmm. characters to go back and correct elements of the narrative as they're telling that same story. And Clever. As someone who is very much into the structure of screenplays, like that's the thing that I really like, the experimentation taking place. Like you can have all the visual experimentation you want, but how often do you actually get to go and manipulate elements of a screenplay mid-movie? I just find time travel movies are one of the few places that can actually happen. And I love it so much. When they, you're absolutely right. When they get it right, it is so clever. When it's done clearly and concisely, you can bring in all sorts of elements. Um, and as long as they stick to their own logic, mm. um, it, it's a wonderful way to watch a film. We, we've got halfway through our time travel middle bit and we haven't mentioned the film that is being taught as the perfect screenplay in American universities right now, and that's Back to the Future. Yeah. Um, it's what it's clearly one of the great screenplays and one of the great time travel movies of all time. Um, and the sequels. I'm not a huge fan of three, but two is a, is a dark one as well. Um, no, well three's, three's really of, grown on me over the years. Yeah, it's sweet. It's fun. By that stage, they were just having a bit of fun with it. So that's Again, also bringing Mary Steenburgen into the time travel mix. She loves her time travel script. She's really good in the in the genre. Um, I would also, and, you know, we can't go past this without mentioning the first two Terminator films, Terminator and Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Sorry, why wouldn't you um, mention the other ones? Does Dark Fate mean nothing to you? <laughs> it means nothing to everyone. Actually, no, I didn't mind Dark Fate. Hated Genesis, hated 
Uh, well, Rise of the Machines was terrible. That's uh, another clear me, danger. Terminator 3 colon Rise of the Machines. Show the respect <laughs> oh. where it's due. With Christina Loken. Yeah, she was great. Uh, she and was also cool. there was, I don't know if it was a Terminator 4 or not, but the one that had Christian Bale in it. Was that Genesis? No. Genesis was the one that has- uh, Sam Worthington. Was that Sam Worthington? I don't think it's Sam Worthington. It's what's his name? The Australian actor who's also in the Planet of the Apes, the second Planet of the Apes film. Uh, Jason, Jason Clarke. Clark. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was in one of them for sure. Um, I'm going to throw in there the great man himself, Bruce Willis, in the 2012 film Looper which was uh, opposite um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. That was a terrific piece of time travel story. That was one of those ones that really cleverly played with the structure of the screenplay right down to the, you know, the editing and the framing of the, of the um, films. It was a, a terrifically smart bit of time travel story. I think you mentioned 12 Monkeys, didn't you? I did. That was, one uh, of my favourites. Yeah. Uh, well, if you love Tenet, what are your thoughts on Interstellar? Is that as good as Tenet? Is that a Nolan masterpiece like you did crapping on about Tenet just then? Look, I don't immediately love Interstellar as much as I do Tenet. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just not quite as clever, but there were some really gorgeous scenes in it that have really stuck with me. So I saw that on an IMAX screen and seeing oh, wow. that spaceship traveling through the vastness of space. There's this one shot where it's supposed to show the vastness of space and you see like this little ship just traveling through the middle, but up on that big IMAX screen, Simon, like that was just something incredible. And I the memory of that, that I'll never be able to shake. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a good-looking film. Um, Donnie Darko is one of my favourite sort of darker, and that's a, that's a film that I find really emotional now. Those final frames of that that scene before the airplane engine drops on his bedroom is is just breaks my heart so many times. Um, and we're all getting very serious about this, but two of my favourite comedies, uh, time travel movies, Peggy Sue got married with. Uh, Nicholas Cage is a, is a terrific uh, time travel story. And Austin Powers in all his films are travelling back and forth in time. Still, the first one is the masterpiece. Um, but it's no pentaveret, but, you know, what is? Calm down. No one's talking <laughs> about the pentaveret. You know what, um, Simon? I've actually had yeah. a number of people get in contact with me during the week saying how much they enjoyed pentaveret. Yeah, well, they're nuts. They're off their meds. Um and just very quickly, a movie that this, I'm throwing this one in there for my mum. She used to love watching Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour in Somewhere, Somewhere in Time. time. And yeah, a 1980 film, which the whole family could sit down in front of and weep at together. It's a beautiful film, which makes me want to watch it right now. So, so much time travel going on in the movies. Um, I'll put something of this up on our Facebook page. And if there's uh, any that we've missed out, do please get in touch with us and, um, and let us know. How do you feel about romance and time travel movies? I love it. I think the example you used of the, the Rachel McAdam one, well, Time Trapper's Wife, but what was the one you said about time? That was about it, time, it? yeah. Yeah, uh, I like romance in, in time travel movies. I think it works really well. Because um, it's kind of about, film. it's always sort of taps into the idea of uh, missed and lost opportunities, but exactly. taking a second bite at it. So, yep. yeah. Yep. There was a terrific little film that closed one of the Sydney film festivals called Safety Not Guaranteed, directed by... Colin Trevorrow, who went on to the Jurassic World movies, but it's a it's a really sweet, smart time travel story as well with a big dollops of romance. So do see that if you get a chance. Yeah, oh, we could go on. We yeah. have. There was a Jake Johnson film. There was a Jake Johnson film. I don't remember who Audrey the female Plaza lead is. Audrey Plaza yeah. and I think one of the Duplass brothers was Mark. in there as well. Mark, yeah. All right, we've done. We've run the course. If we could go back in time, we'd do all it again. Yeah, I feel that we need some sort of Dr. Manhattan-style narration over the top, but let's just move on. 
Okay, Simon, we like to wind out the podcast with a look at the week ahead. Uh, what movies are going to be hitting cinema screens that people should look out for? Apparently, at some time in the recent past, Victorian Justice came to Australia and made the movie A Perfect Pairing, which premieres on Netflix on May 19. She plays an LA wine company executive who travels to an Australian sheep station to, lend a, to land a major client, and there she ends up working as a ranch hand and sparking with rugged local men. Victoria Justice, good for you. Didn't know she was in Australia. And Chip and Dale, Rescue Rangers, is a Disney Plus movie on Disney Plus from May 18. Big comedy cast, Andy Sandberg and John Mulaney playing the two uh, chipmunks, Will Arnett, J.K. Simmons, Seth Rogen, the aforementioned Eric Banner. Um, and I think this one is getting, well, it's getting Disney Plus around the world, but I think it's doing some theatrical screenings in the US, isn't it? Oh, I'm not sure about that, but it's definitely going direct to Disney Plus. And I am very excited about this one. It yeah, me too. Funny. This looks funny. Yeah. And lots of different animation styles in this. They're talking of that it's been very cleverly put together using um, retro animation styles and CGI stuff. So I'm keen to see how they make it all work. And I'm just quietly, my wife doesn't like me saying this because she's not a fan, but I like John Mulaney too. I think he can be very funny. Yeah, I like Mulaney. He's fine. Yep. Yeah. Uh, a couple of notable TV shows in the next couple of days you might want to check out. Super Pumped, which was the last of the big uh, biographical TV series looking at the um, uh, the uh, like wealthy investors gone bad sort of genre. What's this one? What was, what was Super Pumped? Because we had the, was this the Uber one? No, that was We Crashed, wasn't it? Yeah, so there was We Crush, which was the Apple TV one that had um, what's his face and what's Jared, her face, Jared and Anne, Jared yeah. and Anne together, and we had the the um, uh, God, the dropout, the the yep. with Amanda Seyfried. The, yeah, that's right. Yes. Yep. Uh, this is probably the other notable one, which is I uh, saw also Pam and Tommy is kind of in that mix as well, uh, but mm. this one is super pumped and it's about Travis Kalanick and the rise and fall of Uber. Uber, right, okay, yeah. so this is one. And right. it's got it. uh, from Looper, uh, what's his name? Tommy from Third Rock from the Sun. <laughs> Gordon Levitt. Simon, it has been such a long day. I'm so sorry. I, I can't know. any names I at all. I starting to lose it. It's true. And are you at all excited about the Kids in the Hall reboot on, on Amazon, to, which starts well, tomorrow as we, as we record this? I was, a, I was kind of a fan back in the day, but it was never a big deal here in Australia, was it? No, so it never was a big deal here in Australia. It played on Foxtel, I think, a couple of years after, like well and truly after it had finished up. But I'm a big fan of most of the guys from Kids in a Hall from other projects. So, yeah, yeah, obviously Dave from News Radio, like, you know, hugely into that guy. Scott Thompson, I know mostly from Larry Sanders' show as well as a whole bunch of other projects. Bruce McCulloch, uh, Mark McKinley, like all of them I know really quite well. Mark McKinley, people probably know best these days as playing the mostly the store manager from uh, that show in a Walmart sort of an environment. Oh gosh, what's name? With America Ferrera. With America Ferrera in it, and yeah. Ben Fed- Feldman. Yeah. Oh, what is that show that called? One. You know the one. <laughs> <laughs> you know the one. We are good tonight, aren't we? Um, yes, yeah. I'm keen to see that because I thought they were quite funny back but in the day. And I think Mark, wasn't Mark McKinley, he was one of the aliens in Gal- Galaxy Quest too, if I, if I recall. Uh, it's possible. I won't say yeah. no. Yeah. yeah. But I will say I've seen episodes of this already, Simon. <gasps> you have? I have. And it is. The inside tech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is funny as hell. But Good. here's the mistake that I made. And the bit of advice I will give everybody listening to this podcast right now. I was sitting on the train. I thought, you know what? I could watch a couple of screeners here. I've got a bit of a long train trip home. 
so I thought, you know what, Kids in a Hole, I could get through at least one and a half episodes of that in a train trip. That'll be safe to watch. Put it on. What I didn't really consider was that they're really making the most out of being on a streaming service and not on broadcast TV anymore. So there is a extended sequence, just a few minutes since the first episode, <gasps> with several of the guys from Kids in the Hole, very naked, and pain. boy, is pain? boy, things get graphic. Oh, <laughs> it's pain. There's, oh, there's a lot of pain. Wow. Uh, so Were the school kids looking over your shoulder. No, nah, it was okay. It? it was a very adult crowd on the train, but even so I had to very carefully sort of move the screen around a little bit. Uh, look, the show, I was on the train, so I was trying not to laugh out loud too much, but it definitely elicited quite a few giggles from me. And for a show to do that for while you're sitting on a train, I think it's quite a feat. It's a good measure. Public giggling. I've always yeah. found that as well. If you can get you giggling in the public, I've had a couple of podcast moments do that to me. And, and it gets Not worse from this the more show. you try to. Oh, God, no. Heaven forbid, no. Um, <laughs> but I, when you, the, more you, and the more you try to hold it in, the, the more you laugh. So that's a, it's a fun, fun moment. Absolutely. Right. But <laughs> the show is very cognizant of the fact that these uh, guys who have gone through quite a number of physical changes. I guess since the since the original series ran between, I want to say it's eighty nine through ninety three is the original of the show. And, and I'm gonna I'm gonna play the uh, I used to work in the video industry card. Um, Columbia TriStar Home Video actually sold a few volumes on VHS. Well, I remember we had a okay. package of releases, so that which is where I first saw it, just on on uh, you know the the release. So, and I didn't know anything about them then. That's where I sort of came across them. There's so something kids in the hall, yeah. There's something that's very charming. In the first few minutes of it, you'll see the opening titles and it really recreates the opening titles from the original run of the show. And there's something so comfortable to me about the aesthetic of the early 90s. Yeah. And you'll certainly see it at play with the opening titles and you'll see what I'm talking about as you watch it. But boy, I miss that vibe. Yeah. Yeah. They were good days. Good days. (laughs) I was a younger man. All right, this week in history, between May 13 and May 20, this happened on May 14, 1998. Seinfeld's final two-part episode, strangely called the finale, airs to 76.3 million viewers. Commercials were $2 million for 30 seconds. Boy, he made a bit of money, old Jerry, didn't he? So uh, that was May 14, 1998. Do you know what else happened that day that isn't on your This Week in History? Nope. Uh, A guy who was the inspiration for... Uh, Frank, Fon- Frank Fontaine? Yes. In the Godfather movies. What was his name? Frank Sinatra? Sinat- <laughs> Sinatra, yeah. Yeah, Sinatra died the same day. <gasps> really? So, oh, yeah, and I remember being wow. annoyed as a big Seinfeld fan that a lot of the news coverage that would have gone to the finale, because, boy, there was yeah. a lot of conversation leading into that finale. It was all oh, taken yeah. up with the death of Sinatra, a guy who yeah. I didn't care about then and care maybe less about today. Wow, that's harsh. But your parents would have been going off about it. I don't remember that at all. Yeah, they, May 15, they, they 1981. Big people. Yeah, it is very strange. Yeah. May 15, 1981, the Harlem Globetrotters on Gilligan's Island airs. Wow. A classic then, a classic today. May 16, 1986, Top Gun, directed by Tony Scott, Anthony Scott himself, and starring Thomas Cruise. Yeah, that is pretty exciting. Uh, May 17, 1975, NBC pays five US $5 million for rights to screen Gone with the Wind for one time only, a single screening right. Now, I little, did a little bit of maths on this. That is equal to $26.7 million in 2022 dollars. So that's an extraordinary amount of money to pay. Imagine a, imagine a media landscape where you'd pay that sort of money to screen one movie once and a really racist one too. Yeah, 
Uh, I'm thinking about, I suppose it's not really screening at once, but if you think about the amount of money that Warner Brothers laid out to get all those Warner Brothers movies onto HBO Max in the last year. Yeah. Yeah. Similar story, I guess. Uh, May 19. I can't believe this show is being mentioned as frequently as it is on this podcast. We've been talking about it a lot. It really elevates it as being a much greater show in my life than like it probably is. Uh, yeah, but true. May 19, 1992, US Vice President Dan Quayle attacked Murphy Brown for being a single mother and as a poor example of family values. And keep in mind, this was a real-life vice president attacking a yeah. fictional TV character. Yeah, what many people don't understand just by reading history books that Dan Quayle was a, really quite a dick. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> Um, and if you're out there listening, Dan, it's, you know, that's not new to you. You know, I've said that before. Audio. Oh, audio. <laughs> we are tired. I'm actually reading out the cues now. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to read out this thing here. Dan laughs at joke Simon made. No, not happy birthday. No, not that. Please. No, not happy birthday. <laughs> Simon, do you want to run with this? May 14, 1926, the very funny Eric Morecambe from the Morecambe and Wise show. He uh, was born. He died in 1984. May 15, 19... Oh, are you going to do this one? Oh, no, you can go for it. I just read them all. It's fine. May... <laughs> we just want to go to bed. May 15, <laughs> 1981, Jamie Lynn Sigler, who played the uh, the daughter in The Soprano, she was born. Her name May is 16. Meadow Soprano. Jesus, Simon. Meadow Soprano. I know. I didn't watch any of those shows either. Uh, May 16, 1973, Tori Spelling was born. She started in 90210. Who will ever forget? Here's a great name. I love this man's name, Pernell Roberts. He was born May 18, 1928. He was Adam in Bonanza. My generation knows him from Trapper John MD, and he passed away in 2010. Very sad. And May 19, 1946, from The Princess Bride, WWF champion Andre the Giant was born, who died far too young, 1993. So that was a really mixed bag of birthdays. What was I thinking this week? And that brings us to the end of another podcast, Simon. Folks, thank you very much for listening to Screen Watching. No, really, thank no one, you. No thank you so much now. for listening. We need this. <laughs> We need it so much. Okay, my name is Dan Barrett. You can find me on Twitter at the Dan Barrett. Start your day with my free newsletter. It's called Always Be Watching. Find that one at alwaysbewatching.com. It's got the big stories in TV, streaming, and film. And on Fridays, you've got the Always Be Streaming newsletter, which recounts the big shows that launched that very week. Uh, my name's Simon Foster. I'm on the Twitter at Simon R. Foster One. Uh, my uh, website, Screen Space, is screen-space.net. I sort of do all the screen-watching Facebook page stuff, and there's always interesting things over there. If you go to the Facebook YouTube channel, boy, lots of interesting stuff up this week. You can see an interview with actress Natalie Cox, who's in the new film Miss Willoughby and the Haunted Book Club bookshop. Um, that'll be up very soon. Um, yeah, so lots going on. Indeed. Uh, what else can we tell people, Simon? Uh, we could maybe tell them to follow screen watching via their favourite podcast apps. Uh, leave reviews, helps people find the show. Sure, yeah. Rate it or just give it five stars. Don't rate anything less than five stars, yeah. but um, why, we appreciate that. Why do you even consider otherwise? Now, this week, this week's screen watching, it was produced by Lou Grant. Research and writing by Mari Slaughter and Mary Richards. Additional audio assistance by Ted Baxter. We'll be back next week with more screen watching. See you then. Good night, Dan. Bye-bye.